Welcome to KNUK's Kind to Your Mind podcast. There's power in talking and here in this safe space, we talk openly about well-being in all its forms. Hello, I'm Blee. And I'm Paddy. In this episode, we have a great candid conversation with our guest Lisa about all things mental health. We discuss her role and why she is so driven to do more in the space, the idea of approaching mental health issues as psychological risks, as well as going over what support is available for Kuna and Nagel UK colleagues. There is plenty to take in, so without further ado, let's jump in. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Could you start by telling us a little bit more about yourself and then your role within KN as well? It's a bit of background. I joined KN nearly six and a half years ago. And I've always been in a role that kind of helps people, whether it be like development, whether it be formal training, like enhancing who they are as people. And it kind of grew into mental health first aider role during the pandemic. And it was to fill a gap to, to get loads of mental health first aiders so we can support all of our employees during a really difficult time. And then I, I just kind of grew the role organically, really. So I started kind of looking after all of the mental health first aiders and would be that point of contact for more professional support you know from our outside uh, provider Katie and then I was asked uh, probably about eight months ago now to to sort of look after the UK community and start looking at what training people need whether they need refreshers and we kind of grew the the role now to a well-being advocate role and we're looking at different training to go into the wellbeing advocate role as well as a mental health first aider qualification and and that's where we are today really awesome. yeah no because it's um because it is really interesting because I sort of met you Lisa quite soon after I started as well because I heard that you were sort of you're up to a lot and um I guess without kind of encroaching onto your answer when when me and you first spoke I think you absolutely blew my mind with all this psychosocial <laughs> risk stuff <laughs> yeah it's um so when I first sort of looked at the mental health first aider role it was it was looking at how to make people the best versions of themselves but it piqued my curiosity really because a lot of mental health issues and problems that people would come to me with would be you know problems in the workplace problems with colleagues or managers or role changes um, you know communication methods and it grew into a position where we 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 looked at things, how we could make our employees feel safe, how we could give them a voice. And we've got a great platform that care gives our employees the best possible chance to, to ask and say what they need. But there was a bigger, there was a bigger piece of work that I could kind of see that needed to be uncovered. And we looked at something um, within the HSE management standards. And it sounds a big kind of word, really, but we we've we looked at what it means to keep somebody safe at work and it's psychological safety and it's making them feel like they have a place and a position to feel valued within the organization. And there's six standards that we should be looking at as a whole. Um, I'm going to try and remember them now off the top of my head. So like... <laughs> pressure's on. Pressure's I know. On. <laughs> We've got like change, control, um, demands, roles, relationships and support. Yay, six. Um, and any workplace problem that people have would fall into one of those categories. So it's how we can make people feel supported and it's how we can encourage great relationships at work and how we can make people feel secure in the role that they've got. So it's it could be something as simple as 
letting people know what their role is within the team, letting people know what their role is within the wider organisation, that gives people a sense of security and that makes people feel like they've got a worth and that they are valued to be in, in, in this place and feel confident in the roles they've got. So there's a, there's, a, there's a lot to the HSE management standards, but if we break it down, it's really quite simple and effective. And we just need to get people to kind of like understand that it's not this big, scary word like psychological risk. It's not anything um, you know, that people should avoid. It's, it's a great conversation starter um, initially. And talking to our mental health first aiders about psychological risk and understanding the conversations they're having with people, mm. um, coming to them with workplace problems potentially it gives them a little bit of a, a tool in their toolbox to understand that it's got to fall into these categories and these are how we can mitigate some of those risks so when you say psychosocial that is the thing which has got the six things in it is that right um yeah it tends to fall in the six hse management standards so psychological risk is what are the risk factors that people might experience in a particular place at work so it might be that their demands are too high so mm -hmm. that's a psychological risk it's a risk to their um their psyche it's a risk to their mental health so if somebody's got too higher demands we have to figure out some mitigation factors and some control measures like can we divvy up the work can we um can we measure it out so psychological risk is really individual based on kind of a, a particular area at work it's not one shoe fits fits all it's not something we could do as an organization as a as a one activity mm -hmm. because the, the the six kind of standards would differ from team to team to team so um but getting the managers to understand them that's really key because only they will know that information they're going to be the ones that are going to be able to pull out that risk and i've explained to, to managers before it's exactly the same as doing a risk assessment for physical health so mm -hmm. if you was to check your area and say well it's, there's a there's a trip hazard here and there's a slip hazard there because it's near a sink it's the same principle that you just need to go into that area and say, have these people got enough support? Have they got enough control? Do they know um, their job role? Are our relationships great? Is there a, you know, a conflict in interest with members of the team? Mm -hmm. So it's all those things that are the psychosocial risks that we talk about. It sounds like you do an awful lot more than I potentially realised. <laughs> Kudos for that. What originally piqued your interest in all of this because it's quite a, it's quite a heavy topic or it can be a heavy topic there's quite a lot for you to take on what was it that's kind of that drives you as it were to be such a sort of figure in the mental health Nagel space oh god then this is going to go back a bit um if you don't mind sharing of course no, I'm aware. it might be a bit personal. no it's fine <laughs> for, those, for those that know me I am very open and honest and um, don't mind talking about anything to be honest um so I was about 15 years old coming back from somewhere, I don't remember where, with my older brother. And it was it was dark. It was late at night. And I remember driving. We were only about three minutes from home and seeing a woman stood about to jump off a bridge. Um, and I remember saying to my brother, like, wow, like, oh, my God, what do we do? I was 15. I was like, what do we do? And he kind of drove around the island thinking, oh, God, like we've got to kind of you know decide what we do here I'm 15 he's 18 I'm thinking oh my god what what can we do and his initial reaction was we can't do anything we can't do anything Lisa how can we we, we can't get out of the car what if what if things go wrong and he was very like protective and I was like 
hell no, get me out of that car. Get me out of that car. And I just didn't hesitate. There was no hesitation from me. Like, I just needed to get out of the car. I needed to talk to that person. I've never, you know, I'm thinking 21 years ago. There was no, like, guidance on how to support somebody who was in crisis mode. Just, But it came, it almost came naturally and instinctive. So we got out of the car and we, I managed to get the woman back over the, the, the right side of the bridge um managed to get her home and ironically she lived in the same the same area as me and she was in a she was in a really bad place where she'd she'd kind of left late at night and left her children at home because she was in such a a a difficult position where she didn't see a way out and we got her home and then me and my brother got home and uh, it was like well we need to phone the police and I remember thinking at the time wow we're phoning the police like it's a crime like it like this this woman's done something wrong like it doesn't feel like we should be phoning the police like it Mm. doesn't feel right and I wanted to do more I wanted to go back I wanted to go the next day and you know do anything I and I felt like I was really helpless to be honest and and since then I've always been in roles throughout my my life where I've thought how can I help people how can I help people just you know, whether it's from a career point of view or, or with their employee problems, being in a HR department and things like that, how can I make people feel better? How can I help people? Yeah. Um, and it, and I think that moment was always bit, it's always piqued my kind of curiosity with mental health. It's always like, well, I've, I've kind of got to do more. I've got to understand more. And over the last five, 10 years, and mental health has been a really great um, sort of topic on everyone, the forefront of everyone's minds. I wanted to do more and understand how I could have a tool in my toolbox and not just kind of go off on a whim and try and help people, but be more specific about the help I give. Mm. And yeah, that, I mean, that went, that took me back a bit, but, but that's really where it all kind of stemmed from and how I could, how I could help people. And I've always found it really easy to, to listen and talk to people. And I think, mm. I hope that I'm, I hope that people come to me because they feel that they can trust me. And, and then what have you found in your experience with, working with managers where have you seen like some standout issues of um yeah like the kind of the most frequent risks you would say for managers or colleagues to keep a keep an eye out for we've recently developed a new tracking method for the mhfa conversation so an mhfa will track that they've had a conversation with an employee they are not feeling and they have any control in the job that they're doing and it's completely anonymous and we just track and trend the things that the the person saying to us mm. with the new data we've captured from the start of this year we are noticing um, that a lot of our employees that are coming to talk to the MHFAs are noticing that they need a bit more support support mm. is one of the the topics that comes up in quite a lot of conversations mm. and I think it's it's not necessarily from a particular area it's just a case of that we are all really busy yeah as, as, a, as an industry we are all so busy um so people are just saying I just could do with a little bit more support whether that be uh, you know getting up five minutes with my manager whether it be just somebody listening to the problems that we've got in this area that's it's about 70 percent of the conversations we're having with people that are talking to us about their work placed kind of problems so I think if I was to kind of offer any guidance to to teams and managers it would just be to say to ask for that support not assume that somebody knows you need support tell them what you need the support I need might be completely different to the support you need Paddy because my needs as an employee are different yeah I might need my manager to support me with with 
time off when my children are sick that's that's how I feel supported and valued at work but because it's completely individual that mm-hmm. type of support wouldn't wouldn't work for somebody who doesn't have children so it goes back to that manager knowing exactly what the needs of the employee are understanding mm-hmm. what makes them tick and and employees understanding what pressures managers have because it's no picnic in in you know managerial roles sometimes when you've got you know, staff to sort of look after and maintain in large volumes mm. and you've got an output to achieve at the same time. So the, the support is probably the biggest thing that I think we're going to look at mm. in how we can make everyone feel valued at work. Yeah. And I think it's a really good point that you raised on there because it's kind of, it's that reciprocal arrangement that I think is sometimes forgotten that transparency, but between both colleague and manager. So as you see there, as much as the colleague is in a position to go to their manager and sort of say, okay, right, this is kind of the support I need. This is the difficulty that I'm having. It's also then, you know, the manager can also feel comfortable to say, oh, I'll, you know, I, I can maybe, I can help with these things, but these are the pressures that I'm under and this is my availability. And it's having that conversation. It's a really good point that you raise there because it kind of reframes how yeah. the um, the usual kind of wellbeing arrangement um, works, which is really interesting. Yeah, a theme I've found quite or a theme that seems to keep popping up really about any of these well-being topics is that a lot of it is just about talking and that yeah. is, it sounds really sort of basic um and simple but i think just being open with people makes a massive difference because everybody then knows the situation but it's always interesting to think why why is this t- talking such a simple solution but why can't we necessarily do it uh, mm-hmm. i mean without wanting to be a loaded a loaded topic do you think there is a stigma around mental health as a topic to raise with people? I certainly um, think it can be sometimes. Yeah, it is. We, we've come a long way in the last five years, I, I guess, as a nation. We're we're talking about mental health consistently. And people only want to listen when it actually applies to them. And and that's, the, that's really part of the problem. Um, people are really happy to talk about mental health when they've experienced particular pockets of poor mental health. And they feel quite, or some can feel quite confident in talking about it. But people who perhaps don't understand would shy away from some of the topics that they feel uncomfortable with. And like you say, it is just about talking because there's a lot of things that I don't understand, but just being there to listen to somebody can sometimes be all that is needed. There's no um, there's no hard and fast um, rule to, to listening to people. There's just sitting there, being empathetic, giving them your full time and dedication for that for that conversation and um letting them know that you're there for them you don't have to know the answers you're not expected to know the answers and that's what we encourage in our mental health community is that don't know you don't need to know everything because mm. i'm half of the battle is just sitting and listening to somebody kind of off that so when managers or colleagues or mental health first aiders are listening to to somebody's issues and of course they're not meant to give the answers but what they do have is kind of the wealth of knowledge of the support that's available and um yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what is the kind of... <laughs> He's going to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't mean to, but it's absolutely what I'm about to do. Um, <laughs> um, what is the support that's available for colleagues? Well, yeah, all colleagues across KNUK internally. Yeah, well, God, we've got so much support, starting with the MHFA community. Um, you know, got to kind of plug them because they are absolutely fantastic. We've got... Um, 108 active mental health first aiders across KNUK at the minute and many of those are um, fully active fully engaged 
getting involved in all of the activities going above and beyond um, kind of the role that we that we ask of them they're going and looking for additional support networks and things like that so our community is really strong and we've we've got so much support to give and um, we've also upskilled our managers as well many of 400 of our managers across Kane UK to um, have an awareness of mental health so they're they're you know, going to be fantastic to talk to um, and we've also got we care so our we care package that we have from Canada Life is fantastic and there's some really exciting things coming up so can't say too much um, <laughs> but, but there's some really great packages in the pipeline that they're going to offer but the one that we have currently is um, we've got a, a 24 hours seven days a week GP service available to us and I don't mind sharing that I've used it um, late at night or over weekends where I've needed support for me and my children mm. um, rather than going to sit in A&E for you know six hours I've just called <laughs> uh, just called the the Canada the we care um, GPs um, and within an hour I've had a prescription email to me and I've been in a pharmacy picking up a picking up a prescription so those services are absolutely phenomenal and for us currently in the UK where we do struggle to get doctor's appointments um, I think that that's one of the best things that an employer could offer its employees we also have the uh, mental health support so the in the moment crisis support for events uh, in our lives that we need support with whether that be um, you know somebody that's going through a divorce and needs some guidance and support equally somebody that is experiencing low mood depression anxiety we're entitled to um 10 free mental health sessions um, per year per, per issue and that service is fantastic I've spoken to to many people that have utilized that service and it's not needed 10 in most cases they've they've had a couple of sessions with somebody they've been able to talk mm-hmm. they've been listened to and they felt valued and they've they've come away with a different perspective and they they feel um, a lot better so those services are key but there are so many things that you know people can do themselves to make themselves feel better we all know that we feel better when we get outside we talked about vitamin d earlier didn't we <laughs> yeah before we um before we started um having a chat but there's, there's things that people do take for granted like the smaller things like the talking getting outside moving your body um i always have a, a little giggle with people when i when i'm having a chat saying well you know getting outside and moving your body you're thinking that it's you know your body's just going to benefit but it's not your you know that them endorphins go into your brain and make you make you feel good um from the inside out and you know we've often put people in a in a category of oh we have to exercise to to change a shape or to to be fit and healthy but the impact of of your mental health um with exercise is it's phenomenal like sleep um making sure you're drinking enough water every day and uh, being able to have conversations with it's all really it's really simple stuff and sometimes people just need to go oh yeah okay that that could work for me and it's a finding it's almost finding the recipe for you what works for you and you have to do a little bit of exploratory work and go okay it's great for me for, to make sure that my cup is full I need to read a book a week I need to take the dog out for a walk three times uh, I need to exercise maybe once and, and phone a friend at least you know Mm. once a week and that's a magic that's a magic recipe for people but you've got to find your own recipe because it doesn't work for everybody so it's about just just kind of that self-development and understanding what makes you feel good and what doesn't make you feel good yeah definitely I mean I think that is some really worthwhile advice for people listening to be honest um I know for me personally getting outside and going for a walk is something I try to do uh, as often as possible because I know that often I will feel much better afterwards and it gives me a good opportunity 
to clear my head. Um, yeah, I love it. Anyway, with that being said, I think, unfortunately, I am going to have to call time on this episode. I would just like to say a big thank you to you, Lisa, for uh, for your time and for sharing your story. And I'm sure you've given the listeners plenty to take away. And on the subject of listeners, I should just remind everybody that if you want to get involved in a future episode of this podcast, you can do by emailing uk.wellbeing at kuna-nagel.com. We'll get back to you to organise that. Yes, it's a goodbye and thank you from me. Yeah, yeah. thank you very much, Lisa. And I'll see you soon. Yeah, thank you both. This has been brilliant. Um, yeah, see you later.